take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Timothy. We're back in 1 Timothy. We had a few uh, topical type messages in the last few weeks or so. But we're back at 1 Timothy chapter 4. And what an amazing uh, letter this is, 1 and 2 Timothy. After 1 Timothy, we will not go into 2 Timothy. We'll give Timothy, Paul's letters to Timothy a break for a little bit in pastoral epistles and move around a little bit. But we love to do, you know, verse by verse, book by book, different books in the Bible uh, studies. Uh, I'm not against topical teaching. I do that. In fact, when you look at the early church in the first few centuries of church history, they did a lot of topical messages. I don't think you see much uh, uh, verse by verse exegesis of books. You see the book of Revelation was the first commentary you actually see in the early church by a church father named Victorinus. Wasn't very in depth, but still, nonetheless, he went through the entire book. He hopped around a little bit, but there it is. So I'm not, but I'm also very much a fan of going verse by verse through Scripture. So we actually do both. Uh, in the early church, they did a lot of topical things, and they're dealing with things that came up. So they had to deal topically with a bunch of situations. And you'll even see when Paul was at churches visiting them, he would deal with issues that had come up and deal with them biblically. So there's nothing wrong with topical teachings. There's a lot to say about them uh, scripturally. Uh, but there's a lot also to be said about going through letters, going through books, amen? Because these books were also intended to be gone through, amen? So I, I praise God because we have the best of both worlds there. We can do both, both. And certainly we've been through several books in this, in this fellowship, and I'm really enjoying going through 1 Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to pick it up at verse 6, even though we'll back up and look at the first five verses for, for a little bit as well. Because Timothy makes, an, or Paul makes an incredible statement here in verse 6. He says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, and uh, he specifically, you know, has in mind uh, perhaps verses 1 through 5, that, that emphasis on watching out for the coming fallen away and the doctors of demons that will cause havoc in the church. He says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Well, I want to be a good minister. I want to be a good pastor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I want to constantly point out these things, you know, uh, verses 1 through 5, warning about what the Scriptures say would happen in the future, warning us not to be deceived, uh, making sure we're nourished and built up in the Word of God. And there's application for that as well to you because I always remind the church that we're all called ministers of what? Reconciliation. Amen. We're all ministers and we need to all point these truths out because Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, to Timothy, you share the things I'm sharing with you to other good men so they can share with others. Amen. So we're all supposed to get the Word out. There's a lot of good things here, guys. So again, in verse 6, in pointing these things out or pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of a sound doctrine which you have been following. So Timothy has been on the straight and narrow path, following the word of God. So in 1 Timothy 4, 6, uh, it's important. Let's back up for a moment, especially since we took a break for a few weeks from 1 Timothy. And what specifically does Timothy have in mind? Although Timothy could have the whole... Everything preceding this, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 in mind as well. We don't know exactly, but we know he's definitely talking about what he just mentioned. And let's, look at, let's, let's go back because he says, he talks about putting your brethren, right? By pointing these things out, right? 
uh, putting the brethren into remembrance, as some translations say. Uh, let's look at verse 1 again through 5. But we won't spend a whole service on it, but look at it briefly, because that's what good servants do. They become knowledgeable of these truths. Verse 1, But the Spirit speaks expressly, or expressly says, that in the later time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctors of demons. Okay? The Holy Spirit speaks expressly that last days there'll be doctors of demons and seducing spirits. They're very real. We are in a spiritual war. And those spirits are at war with you personally. Uh, no doubt, before you became a Christian, Satan blinds the minds of those that believe not. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, lest the God of this world, right, uh, who, which is Satan, blinds, he blinds the minds of who? Us. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 literally says, the God of this world, speaking of Satan, blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, whose image of God, would shine unto them. But 1 Timothy 4, 1, now if you, after you become a believer, you know, when you become a believer, then he tries to steal the seed. But if he can't steal the seed, so first he stops you, he blinds you. Then the seed is planted, then he tries to plant, steal the seed. Remember the parable of the sower? Now the seed, let's say it takes root, and you're a believer, praise God. Now what does he do? He tries to get you to fall away. So the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith, not might, will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And this is so important uh, that we understand that there will be a falling away. Now there's many scriptures, a hundred or so passages and verses in the New Testament that, that speak about falling away. It's a major theme, major warnings. But there are also specific warnings that we should pay special attention to almost 2,000 years since the cross. And that is that there would be a great falling away in the last days. And there's various passages, it's important to understand this, there's various passages that warn that there would be a falling away as we got nearer and closer to Jesus' second coming. And that's why we need to be alert. Amen? That's why we need to be wise. In fact, the Greek word for falling away there is aphistomy. Okay? It's a fist to me. It means to literally means to just it means to fall, you know, uh, to depart. When it's speaking uh, when it's speaking in the context of uh, 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 departure from uh, God's truth in this context, and it's important to get this. So, First Timothy four one says, use the word a fist to me. Now it's interesting. Jesus also spoke about this falling away in the last days. Notice Paul says in the later times, right? In the latter days, in the latter times. Well, Jesus spoke about a latter day falling away as well. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, when he talks about the coming tribulation period, right? I'm not going to go into all the verses there, but he says, at that time, many will fall away. Many will fall away. And now it's interesting because he uses a different Greek word there. He doesn't use a fist to me. He uses scandalizo. That's the word we get scandalized from and the word we get scandal from. There'll be, there's many will, you know, there'll be a scandalizo. And many Greek scholars point out that that word isn't, you know, that word, uh, the Greek, by the way, the, the, the noun is only found in the New Testament, scandalon. The noun is only found in the New Testament Greek in that period of time, which is kind of interesting. But scandalizo, fall away, the verb is used more than that, but it speaks of uh, being hunted and succumbing to a trap made by a hunter, as most, many scholars point out. 
However, there's debate as to what the noun meant because in Greek, the nouns are sometimes very different than the verbs, you know. And it's interesting because, uh, and I, just, I did some word study on, on Scandalizo uh, before and then more recently. And it's interesting that it's from a, re- a Greek, uh, it's from a word that's not actually Greek. It's from a, a Proto-Indo-European root, scand. We'd, you know, you might alliterate that or transliterate that, S-K-A-N-D, scanned. And that interesting word, it was a Sanskrit word, actually. And that word scanned is quite interesting because it means like iridescent or candle or to glow, to, to, to a light. speaks of it like a, 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 a bright light. And it was interesting because uh, the Greek scholars, they try to figure out, try to understand what did this word mean because the word speaks of, you know, uh, of... Uh, they do to understand that it has something to do with hunting and you're being hunted. We know Satan's trying to hunt us, amen? Maybe he's trying to hunt Job. He was complaining to God that you built a hedge around him, right? And he hunts us as a roaring lion. He seeks someone to devour. And he's trying to devour you. There's, there are demonic spirits that will throw thoughts in your minds, things into your life to try to trip you up. But what's interesting about the word scandalizo is sometimes it talks about, it's translated stumble in the New Testament. You know, to fall, of course, fits with stumble. So the idea is perhaps a trap, you know, used like a tripwire to cause an animal to stumble so they can come upon the animal. Although we don't see scandalizo use of a tripwire in hunting, the verb anywhere in that period. So there's other thoughts. Okay, wait a minute, but wait a minute. It's, the idea is scandalizo is to fall or cause to stumble or to trap, to catch, to trap, but also has the idea of a light. You know, something glowing, a light. So uh, some Greek scholars believe that had to do with fishing. You know, Jesus was ministering to a lot of fishermen there, right, who are now believers, because they would use bright artificial lights to fish in those days. They'd go night fishing, and certain creatures out at sea, especially the Mediterranean and so forth, not necessarily the Sea of Galilee, would react to light because... When the sun comes up, guess what? What happens when the sun comes up with humans? What do we do? We tend to get up, right? Well, it could draw fish, could draw octopus, it could draw all sorts of things. And actually, archaeologists in this period of time did searches on boats. They could tell the difference between a boat that was a fishing boat that was done for the, was daytime fishing because they would be equipped with nets and, and hooks. And night fishing, they could see the difference because there wouldn't typically be hooks. They would just get that poor sucker up because they're using artificial lights and that fish would come up or that octopus would come up and they'd use their nets. And it's interesting because there's a book out. Uh, it's a huge study called Ancient Fishing Gear and Associated Artifacts from Underwater Explorations in Israel. Interesting. And it's interesting because it's a comparative study. It came out in 2013 and it talks about, quote, fishing by fire was practiced since prehistoric times and how they would f- fish with fire to draw fish up. The book states, quote, iron fire baskets. They would use iron fire baskets for maintaining fire, probably a light-emitting device used to lure marine creatures. Now, this is interesting because Satan is going to be using a lot of false light. I mean, one of the devil's names, Satan, is, is Lucifer, Right? He's a shining one. In fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, it says that Satan appears as an angel of what? 
as angel of light, right? And see, interesting, because in that very chapter, in Matthew 24, 24, he warns about spiritual deceptions. And if they say, I'm in the wilderness, don't go out. And, and in verse 24, he says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving, if possible, even the very elect. Behold, I have warned you in advance, verse 25. And how will they deceive the elect? By fire fishing. By fire fishing. What do you mean? How will they deceive us by fire fishing? Well, hopefully they won't deceive any of us. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you're being alert. We're here today. We're studying. Amen. Well, since we've been talking about fire fishing and that word scandal, scandalon, and the Greek word scandalizo, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul said that the Antichrist is coming with all power and signs and counterfeit or lying wonders and all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they refuse to love the truth that they might be saved. So what happened? God gave them over to the enemy. He gave them over to the strong delusion that they would believe the lie. And what is, how do they believe the lie? They believe that Antichrist is God. They believe he's going to save them. Who can make war with him? In fact, he rises or his, the seventh head is, gets a mortal wound and then it rises again, right? It's like, wow, this guy could even beat, no, who can make war with him, right? Maybe he's going to defeat God and you know, some believe, Satan believes that he will defeat God possibly in the end, or he has a fleeting chance at least. Well, what's, how's he going to do? use fire? Well, it says the false prophet will bring fire down in the sight of the men from heaven to get them to worship the beast. So, fire fishing may be a, what, the imagery that's being used there. Whether that's the case or not, we do know this. Scandalizo does mean to stumble and fall. And many will fall away and betray one another at that time. The immediate context, I believe, right in, the, in that passage, before you get to the false signs and wonders, which I believe is also part of the context. So the interpretation may be warranted, but I call it more of a possibility. But there will definitely be signs and wonders that deceive people, and people will fall because of that, for sure. However, uh, the immediate context there is very practical for the right now. Brother will betray brother. The love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness will increase. Amen? But he that endures to the end will be saved. So while you must be concerned about false signs and wonders, and most, must, much of the church is being deceived by false signs and wonders right now, you know, at Bethel and the so-called New Apostolic Reformation, which is considered the biggest movement in Christianity in the last several years around the globe, there's all kinds of false signs and wonders. So we need to be concerned about that. But you need to be concerned about the nitty-gritty as to what you, you're just your daily walk right now. Are you walking in love? The love of many will grow cold. You can say, man, I'm not going to fall for that Bethel stuff. I'm not going to believe these guys are apostles and they can rule my life. I know that's wrong. But then you're mean-spirited to your wife. Your love has grown cold. You don't spend time in prayer. Or you have a, a grudge toward a sister that you just can't get over. Instead of praying and seeking God, you're nursing that grudge. You know, That's not right. That's not, that's not of the Lord. You have to get right. Because you're commanded to forgive. Amen? command and move forward in Jesus. You have to go forward and seek the Lord and, and make sure you're right with God because brother will betray brother. And this is important stuff. Or it could be, as Jesus warned, remember Lot's wife. She looked back. Your eyes could be so much on the world that you're not excited about Jesus anymore. You know, it's very important that we stay focused on the Lord. So we see a couple Greek words that have to do with falling away in the last days. A lot of times some will depart from the faith. Last days. Depart, epistemy. Then we looked at Matthew 24.10, right? Jesus said, at that time, many will fall away. And persecution is also the context there, right? They'll be delivered over to be killed. 
So be ready to be persecuted. The Bible says arm yourselves to suffer. Don't believe you're just be whisked away before things get bad. That's not true. Right? Make sure you're, you're, you're prepared. Peter says arm yourselves to suffer. That's part, of the, that's part of the deal. You shouldn't freak out when you enter a trial. When you enter into a trial, you say, that's exactly what the Lord said would happen in my life. Amen? Amen. Peter says, don't consider it a strange thing when you are tried by fire, 1 Peter chapter 4. Why does Peter say that? Because some believers think it's a strange thing. They get all freaked out. No, Lord, have mercy on us. But guess what? We always say, you know, you're either in a trial or you're entering into a trial or you're leaving a trial. Getting ready to enter into a new trial. As the sparks fly upward, so man is born under trouble, it says in the book of Job. It's just a natural thing that happens, and it's a spiritual, a spiritual thing that happens. But the great thing is, is that the Lord says you can consider all joy when you enter into various trials. Not that you could. He commands us to consider all joy. How can I consider joy? How can I be happy that my kid got super sick? No, he doesn't say be happy that your kid got sick. He says be rejoice in the midst of your trial, knowing that God is working all for the good in your life. Amen? Knowing that he's perfecting you. Knowing that he's using it and that he is God. That's where your faith must kick in. You have to trust the Lord. And keep your eyes on Jesus. So there's those two Greek words, uh, aphistomy and scandalizo. But then there's another interesting, and these are the ones that have to do with uh, falling away in the end, end, end of days. Another one is 2 Timothy 2, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And that's where Paul warns in the first four verses, don't be deceived to think that the rapture will take place before the falling away and the revelation of Antichrist. Right? Remember that? He says, concerning Christ coming, I'll be gathered together to him. Don't let anyone deceive you. That's not going to happen. He says, until what happens? The falling away happens first, and the man of sin sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Amen? Exalting himself all, above all that's called God. And that word for falling right there is apostasia. It's the Greek word apostasia, the Greek verb apostasia. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's Greek noun uh, there, apostasia. And that's not a hard word to interpret, because that word is used throughout the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. And it's also used another time in the book of Acts. And every time the word apostasia is used, it's used of falling away. It's used not of physical departure, but it's always, without exception, used in the Old and New Testament of spiritually falling away. Oh, I thought the Old Testament in Hebrew. No, yes, it is. But I'm talking about the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was around and Jesus and the apostles quoted. Apostasia. And that, that, that word is connected to a divorce. It's like getting a divorce from God. So there'll be this apostasia. We shouldn't be surprised that Paul said that because Jesus said that. Amen? Now, there's a fourth Greek word used, a fourth warning about falling away. That ha- now, all these, by the way, guys, keep in mind, all these, there's a ton of verses about falling away, right? And I didn't cover this ground when we went through these verses before, but I'm covering this ground because these are words that are associated with the last days falling away. We've looked at three now. Ephistomy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Scandalizo, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Apostasia, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, specifically verse 3. But what about this other word, which is an interesting word, uh, and it's uh, 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 apostropho, okay, apostropho. And this word is used in 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, to preach the word to Timothy in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort from the word of God with all long suffering doctrine, for the time will come where they will not heed sound doctrine, but they will turn away. Okay, apostrepho is translated turn away there from the truth. And they'll turn aside to mythology, to myths. 
You know how many people are in all these weird things on the internet today? There's all kinds of weird things. Don't get caught up in the weirdness, guys. Don't go on rabbit hunts down the hole to where you never come up and you never see Jesus again. Amen? Because a lot of people who are once in fellowship, thriving in Jesus, who are caught up in all this junk these days. Okay? Make sure whatever you're studying, make sure. I'm not saying you can't study things, but I'm saying make sure that your goal is Jesus. Amen? Don't lose focus on Jesus. So uh, that's a turning aside, that Greek word. And I love it that the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, uses four different Greek words to describe the last days falling away. That there's a departure from truth. That there, it's a trap from the enemy, you see. And that we keep our eyes on Jesus. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart or fall away from the faith. Pain, and by the way, don't let anybody tell you you cannot fall away. That's a lie from the pit of hell, man. Oh, well, true believer can't fall away. Well, why are all these warnings to true believers? Amen? Why does Timothy warn himself not to fall away? If, is he not a true believer? Just read chapter 1. And he's told to keep a good conscience in the faith because others have gone astray. Why does he have to keep it? Isn't he irresistibly saved no matter what? No, we can fall away. Your little girl comes in and she's got bloody, uh, or, or granddaughter or grandson for Blaze now and, and Rona. Uh, they just announced that they're new grandparents, praise report. Uh, but they come, she comes in and says, I just fell off the monkey bars. The little, your child, your grandchild, and you know, skinned up knees and palms from gravel or whatever. Hopefully you use sand, you know. But, uh, and you'll say, you never were up on the, you can't fall off the jump. I did, look at me. No, you were never on the, you know, monkey bars in the first place. Well, then it's not, then you wouldn't describe it as falling, would you? This Bible describes it as actually falling. And, and he goes on to warn about this, but the Spirit explicitly says, in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons write doctrines. Everything that becomes popular, don't stick your finger in the air and say, oh, this new book, people just love it. Man, so many books. Wizard of Oz, man. The German writer, Baum, who wrote that, said he was sitting down, I guess a lake or whatever, and he just channeled it from a spirit. That figures. Emerald City, streets of gold, sounds like heaven, but the wizards are phony, and the truth is within. The New Age lie way back before the New Age is popular. He was a theosophist, by the way. A member of Madame Blavatsky's Theosophical Society, which is all about channeling spirits, and where she says Satan is our savior. Anybody remember Jonathan Livingston Siegel? Raise your hand if you remember that book. Come on, come on, raise your hand. I'm, okay, maybe eight people or so. All the guys with a little bit gray in their beards and stuff, you know. And the gals with gray in their beards. Well, I don't think any gals have gray beards here. But, you know, I remember back in the day, man, it was a big book when I was a young guy. And I remember witnessing this to people at my work, at a job that I had. And I remember sharing, the, I, I was able to share, they sold their souls for rock and roll with them, and I was a young believer. And one of them said he'd watch it, but I had to go watch something of his. And I went to his house. His wife cooked a big dinner. He's a biker dude. And he, we sat back, and he wanted me to listen to Jonathan Livingston Siegel on audio. I already knew about Jonathan Livingston Siegel. I knew the guy. It's about a seagull, and guess what? He becomes enlightened, and he flies above all the other seagulls. He basically becomes God. And I knew it was a lie. And he also mentioned, you know, supernaturally getting the, those words. 
Mm. Watch out, man. There's a lot of things out there that are spiritual that are intended to deceive you and open people up to the occult. And he was trying to get me so hard to smoke pot with him. Joe, he's crying like a baby almost, man. If you're watching and you're tuning in, I love you, man. But you were just too, too over the top. He was like, please, I went and watched your thing. Now you need to smoke a joint at least when you got, it's not the same if you don't smoke a joint. I'm like thinking, be sober, be vigilant. For you ever say the devil walks by the wearing line, seeking someone to devour. No, I'm not going to smoke pot, man. I don't smoke pot. I don't get drunk anymore. No, but I'll listen to your deal. And then I'll witness to him, witness to him again, you know. But there's a spiritual war we're in, guys. And there's demons that are out there. That's why Paul warns Satan's a fallen angel. The demons are fallen angelic beings. In Galatians 1, Paul says to the church at Galatia, who had been saved in the name of Jesus, because he warns them, stand fast in the freedom with which Christ has set you free. They're already free. Don't tell me they weren't saved. And then he says in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who's called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. You remember that famous verse in verse 7? Even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed, right? And guess what? We have all kinds of religions based on doctrines of demons and fallen angels. I mean, think of Mohammedism. Think of Islam. I mean, that's encroached over so much of the planet, guys. You know, what just happened? I think hundreds of, several churches and hundreds of Christians have been displaced over there in Pakistan just recently which has about a million and a half Christians there. But it's mostly Muslim, like 90-some percent Muslim and a very small percentage of Hindus and then even a small percent of Christians. And they just, 20 or 30 churches were destroyed just recently because of Islam. Indonesia, they're destroying churches because of Islam. You go to Saudi Arabia, you go to Iran, you go to Iraq, you can have Afghanistan, you can have huge problems with Muslims. Because the Quran, I call it a war manual. It's really what it is. But you know how that started? Muhammad thought he was possessed by a jinn, convulsing on the ground and everything. His friends are no, it's 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 Jabril or Gabriel, the angel, you know. And he was illiterate. But then the Quran comes forth, and now it's enslaved mass people and turned them against Jesus, not being the Messiah, not being the Son of God, not being the one who died for our sins, not the biblical Messiah. They, they have another, they call, him, they call Jesus by another name. And his other name is not Jesus Christos, Jesus the Messiah, okay? And they don't believe, they say, oh, no, 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 the, Jesus, the, the Christians come up with this different Jesus. That's not really the biblical Jesus. And you just read the Bible, man. Galatians says he died for our sins. Galatians says that he was cursed for us. They deny that. Galatians says that Jesus is the Son of God. And that very book of Galatians warns about an angel come and preach a different gospel. And it had happened about 600 years after this happened with, with him. That's not just, oh, that's over there, though. That's not, Muslims aren't here. Yeah, they're here. But the Mormons are here. Satan just copycatted what he did with the Muslims, with the Mormons. And it was an angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith and said, hey, man, I got some golden plates. Check these out. Golden place that nobody happened to see but Joseph Smith. And they're in Egyptian hieroglyphics, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics that, uh, <laughs> that don't really exist, those kind of hieroglyphics that Joseph Smith describes. And, uh, and he couldn't read them, so the angel provides a seer stone so he can look through this seer stone and through his hat and, and decipher the words. And he ends up denying that Jesus Christ is the God who created everything and without which nothing was made. These are doctrines of demons, guys.
And then let's go ahead and read the next few verses. By means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a browning iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. Uh, if it is received with what? Gratitude or thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on those because we've already looked at these verses. We're only supposed to be in verse 6. But since verse 6 says, a good servant of the Lord will remind you of the first five verses. I just did that because I want to make sure I'm a good servant of the Lord. Amen. But also, let's just, a few things on this. And I'm not, re I'm not regurgitating stuff I've taught on this. I'm bringing, you know, more and more new information as we chat. So it's not the same stuff as we go over this again. But it's just interesting that these doctrines of demons will include forbidding marriage and abstinence from foods that God has created to be received with gratitude because they're sanctified through thanksgiving, amen? Or through, I should say, prayer. They're sanctified by the Word of God. Now, it's just interesting. What does it mean they're sanctified by the Word of God? It means that God has declared that all these foods are good. So watch out for Christians who are teaching you you can't eat these things. You have to eat these things. I'm not talking about for health benefits, you know? I mean, my wife and my children are all gluten-free because of health benefits, because, you know, they've got a, a, a disorder uh, to where gluten really messes them up, okay, Hashimoto's, okay, which I'm, I'm, I'm supposed, I'm supposed, I have Hashimoto's too, the husband and wife both get Hashimoto's, I think it's because the doctor in the past put us all in a bunch of iodine, and I read in my wife's book, I just picked it up one day, I was never picking up a book, one of the foremost experts on, on uh, Hashimoto's, I just picked up her book, I opened the middle, and it says, if you take iodine supplements too much, it could affect your, you know, I don't get into too depth, but it could affect you and get Hashimoto's. I'm like, baby, weren't we prescribed this right before this whole thing happened? She's like, no, that's not what happened. I'm not sure. Who knows for sure? But either way, still going to take a tiny bit of iodine a day possibly, but be careful. But anyway, it's like, wait a minute. They're forbidding certain foods to know because they got gluten. And we're talking about not for physical reasons, talking about for spiritual reasons, for spiritual reasons. So if you're like, hey, I don't eat this because it's, I think this is healthier, that's praise God, you know? As long as you're making really good choices, unless you're like, man, I'm on an ice cream only diet. I love it, man. That's so good. That's probably not going to be very good physically, and that could affect your spirituality later, perhaps, if you're not alive anymore, right? Uh, but we're talking about if you're on special diets spiritually and you're forbidding people to eat certain foods because you're saying you've got spiritual insight that we're not supposed to eat certain things, Paul says here very clearly, right? Verse 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. That's all food. He's not talking about eating a chair, okay? But all food. So it's important to pray. Jesus prayed before he ate. So let's pray, and let's uh, be thankful, and show gratitude. Amen? Just give a prayer of thanksgiving, and, and you know, could also prayer of protection, you know, depending on who's cooking, you know? Uh, <laughs> But it's interesting when you look at the scripture, you have this, just, this freedom that Satan wants to rob. Lord gave us all these taste buds, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for all the taste buds. Thousands of taste buds, amen. And he wants to bless you. Yet these guys come along and they're called legalists. Where, nope, you can't eat these certain foods. You can't eat meat or, or you, know, you can only eat vegetables or, or what have you, you know. And these are doctrines of demons. Because Genesis 1.29 says, Then God said, Behold, I've given 
You, every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. Guys, leaves can be amazingly good for you. Uh, fruit can be incredibly good. Fruit's amazing, man. Get the fruit while you can. It's summertime, amen? In Genesis 9-3, man, it opens up fruit for meat. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. You can eat meat, too. I've eaten all sorts of things, you know. I've eaten worms, you know. Imported, I think, from Mexico. I saw that face back there. Yeah, they actually didn't taste that good. I only had them a few times with that. Nah. That was before Bill Gates was talking like he is. Now I'm like, no, I ain't worms. Now nah, nah, you're pushing it, you know. Uh, but it's interesting. You have all this legalism. The Gnostics were legalistic. And they were dealing with proto or incipient Gnosticism even in the first century. And Paul, and I'm not going to take the time to deal with it because I already have. You've got to go back to old messages where I outlined some of the Gnosticism and the reasons why with regard to what Paul says in 1 Timothy and regard to what the early church fathers said and showing you that there's a, a, a Gnostic subcurrent or undercurrent Proto-Gnosticism already an effect where Satan's attacking the church. And the Gnostics later became more and more radicalized and more and more clear. They basically taught that the physical food, meat, was evil to eat, many of them, because Yahweh, the biblical God, is evil, and he made everything. And since he made physical meat, you don't want to eat meat. Just, I mean, it's silly, but that's, people were falling for it. And the Jews, you know, you can't eat pork, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. Well, the Lord made it really clear that you can't eat pork. Amen? Remember, first, remember Romans, or Acts chapter 10? The, the uh, vision that Peter gave? Or God gave Peter, remember? And it was to let him know that God was going to save the Gentiles too. But he drops a, 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 a sheet full of supposedly unclean food that you couldn't eat under the Old Covenant. But by the way, are we under the Old Covenant now? No. When somebody tries to put you under the Old Covenant, first of all, you tell them, by the way, the Old Covenant was given not to Gentiles, us, but given who? Jews. And by the way, now we're under the New Covenant. Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Gentiles, are not under the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. Because in Jeremiah, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, God says he would give a New Covenant, which would not be like the Old Covenant, which I gave to your fathers. Jeremiah chapter 31, amen? And he says he divorced the Jews from the Old Covenant. Jeremiah chapter 3, I've given you a writing of divorcement. No longer he shall say the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And then he goes on to say that I'm going to make a new covenant with you, not like the covenant I made with you at Mount Sinai, Old Covenant, but New Covenant. So we get to the New Covenant. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? He says, it's not what comes into the mouth that defiles the man, Mark 7. It's not that what goes out of the mouth or into the mouth that defiles the man, but it's what comes out of what? The heart that defiles the man. And, it, and the, the commentator, the divine commentary of Mark, the Holy Spirit says, by saying this, he was making all foods clean. Thus saith the Lord, checkmate. By saying this, he was making all foods clean. So Peter's looking. Peter didn't get it yet, though. The Lord's like, has a bunch of animals. Kill and eat, Peter. Kill and eat. And Peter's like, I'll never do it, man. I've never eaten anything unkosher since I was a kid. Jesus says, kill and eat. Do not call unclean what I've called clean. Amen. Peter's like, okay. What are you seeing? Like, a blanket comes down, right? And he's seeing pork, bacon. I guess that was the first pigs in a blanket, by the way, you know. I don't know, you know. I don't know where that first, was, first came out, but he had literally, there was probably pigs in a blanket because that was the main thing they'd want to eat that they couldn't eat. So it's just interesting because you've got to watch out for legalism. We are free in Christ. We're free from man-made rules, amen. We're free from the Old Testament law as it means to be righteous before God. 
We're, we're free from keeping all the strange laws that were meant to set the Jews apart from everybody else. But we are not lawless, though. We're not antinomians because we are under the law of who? The law of who? Christ. The law of Christ. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Galatians chapter 6. Both talk about how we are under the law of Christ. We're under the New Testament law of Christ. Amen? But we don't keep the law of Christ as a means to be, uh, deemed, to be you know, justified before God. We trust in the blood of Christ to be justified and right with God. Amen? But now we obey the law of Christ because He is our Lord and out of gratitude that He saved us. Amen? But there's so much legalism. The Roman Catholics were really good at doing what Romans 4 says is doctrines of demons. Don't marry? Oh, if you want to be a priest in our church, you can't marry. Where does it say that? Nowhere in the Bible. Does it say that a minister of the gospel cannot marry? That's, that's a doctrine of demons. Oh, man, there's so many rules. I mean, so many monks were thinking that they could please God by not eating certain things. And, you know, one monk, you know, he wouldn't eat anything but, but raw food. Only raw food, you know. And uh, he was a, the first raw vegan, you know, perhaps. Uh, you have another monk who thought he couldn't sleep. So he leaned against a sharp rock so he wouldn't fall asleep. That's just to please God. Another monk would refuse to wash. No, I'm doing this for the Lord. Woo, he stunk. In fact, the commentary on that guy is when the bugs would land on him because he stunk so bad, sometimes they would just fall over and die. Like he stunk really, really bad. And uh, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, he was an Augustinian Roman Catholic monk. You know? And he would flagellate, self-flagellate himself, beat him with whips, bloody, to try to get right with God. Because he didn't understand we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Thus anyone should boast. Amen? Amen. He was trying to save himself by works. He's a German monk. He goes to Rome, where the Pope's at. And he uh, climbs the 28 marble steps, the uh, Scala Santa, the holy so-called stairs. He climbs them on his knees. And on each step, he gets up another one and he prays until he gets to the last step. And he says a prayer, he utters a prayer, and he's like, who knows if this even really works, you know? Because the idea was he was trying to spring a soul from purgatory. You wouldn't have to spend as much time suffering in purgatory for your sins. But the Bible doesn't mention purgatory. And the Bible doesn't mention a suffering penalty for our sins because Jesus was penalized for our sins. God will discipline us, amen? But Jesus suffered the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Amen? Amen. It's interesting. Martin Luther expressed uh, the doubt. Who knows whether this is true? Because so many of these Roman Catholics, man, were giving indulgences to spring loved ones from purgatory. And purgatory means purge, where you go to burn up your, off your sins and suffer. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do not re- regard Roman Catholicism as preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. To be a good Catholic and enter into heaven, you have to keep the seven sacraments. To really be a Christian, biblically speaking, you need to know Jesus and accept the free gift of salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And it's interesting, Martin Luther, you know when the lights came on for him? After he was this Augustinian monk, just condemned, didn't feel he could be good enough to earn God's salvation, he read Romans 17. Romans 1.17, which says the righteous shall live by faith. 
And then his eyes were opened. The lights went on. Wait a minute. God's grace is available to me. His forgiveness is available to me through faith. Not through me doing enough things, but passively through putting my trust in him, receiving a free gift. You know what Martin Luther said after he realized that? When I discovered that, he says, I was born again of the Holy Ghost. And the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. Isn't that beautiful? How many people out there right now as we talk are trying to be saved by doing good things? Muslims, Mormons to get in the celestial kingdom, all kinds of new agers and so forth. And it's just really, really sad what's going on out there. Now, let's look at verse 6 again. In pointing out these things, things we just went over, to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the food, uh, and on the sound doctrine, thinking of food now, huh? which you have been following. Now, isn't that interesting? That's very interesting to me because there's a contrast here. And I think it's really interesting. What is he emphasizing? Not to become ascetics. Not to become those who follow man-made rules, man-made religion, to earn points with God. That's what false religion does. Every false religion pretty much has a stairway you have to climb to heaven. Whether it's, you know, Scala Santa, the so-called holy stair stairs, or, or the Eightfold Path, and, or Buddhism, or whatever. Christianity is so much different because it's not us working our way up to heaven. It's God coming to us. Amen. God condescending because we could never save ourselves. It says just like a leopard can't change its spots. And he condescends and he comes down, becomes a man and dies in our place. And all we have to do is open our hands and receive the free gift of salvation and turn from a, a life of works and doing our own thing and dead works to him for our salvation. And then he changed our lives. Amen. That's the good news, guys. That's the good news. Now, I think it's very interesting. This is a contrast, which I think is really interesting. It hit me like a ton of bricks when I was going through this passage, and I look at verse... Now, what's he talking about verses uh, 3, 4, and 5? These doctors of demons, will, uh, one of the primary things they'll do is say, to be right with God, you can't eat certain foods. Paul says, no, just say grace. Just, just pray, right? And then in verse 6, he says, and by pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a, a good servant of Christ Jesus. Constantly what? What did he say? Constantly what? Nourished. Nourished. Ooh, isn't that interesting? That's what hit me. Nourished. He's talking about eating again. I don't think Paul wrote these things this way because he was just hungry, getting hungry when he's in the fourth chapter. No, he's saying, hey, our nourishment's important. But you want to be spiritual? Don't abstain from certain foods. Now, fasting is good, but that's voluntary. Amen? You notice in the church we never say, you have to fast at this time. There's times when you can do without food, so you can seek the Lord and be in prayer and so forth. But we don't teach it as a doctrine that you have to do it or you're not right with God. What's interesting, though, is Paul now does a play on what's going on here. He's, there's some really heavy things going on here. Because these guys would not eat certain foods, so they'd be spiritually fit. Paul says, no, that's not the deal. But Paul says, you, need to eat, you can eat all the physical food, just pray first. He's not saying that'll be all good for you physically, but he's saying it won't hurt you spiritually. 
Now, this is what's interesting. Now he says in verse 6, you need to point these things out. And by doing so, you'll be what? Notice the word nourished. Nourished. Nourished on what? Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. Right here, man. We're being nourished today. Amen? We're in God's gym. Okay? This is God's gym. We're, you're all, you're in, you're, you're, your friend says, you're going to church again? Oh, I'm going to gym. What gym are you going to? Blessed Hope Chapel. What do you mean, what do you mean Blessed Hope Chapel? It's my favorite gym. I mean, it's a restaurant too. Get fed the word. Amen? It's a hospital. We take care of the sick. What sick people are there? All of us. We're all getting better. Praise God. I mean, but it's a gym. We're a spiritual gym. And we're, and, and we're you know, being nourished. Nourished on the word of, of, of faith, the word of God. And on sound doctrine. Which is so important. See, God's word is food for your soul. Amen? Amen. It's for, food for your soul, guys. And it nourishes the soul. Sound doctrine nourishes your soul. The Bible says, you know, the outer man is decaying. But the inward man is what? Being renewed day by day. Amen? How do you have your inner man renewed? The Bible talks about renewing. Be renewed uh, by, you know, uh, the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. And the renewing of the mind. Amen? Through the Word of God. And the Bible speaks of God's Word as food over and over and over again. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.4, we read, And they drank, they all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Jeremiah 30, 15, I love this. Listen to this. Jeremiah says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, God says through Jeremiah, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Why do you do it? Where do you leave and go at 7 o'clock? I go out to eat. Oh, really? At 7? I thought you just had dinner. Oh, that's important, but this is my most important meal, you know. Jeremiah 15, 16, listen to this. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word became to me the gladness and joy of my heart. You know, they show physiologically people that work out tend to have, uh, you know, they, endorphins are released and so forth. And it can be good for your state of mind. But you know, spiritually, being right with God, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, right? When you're in the Word and you're praying, you're seeking the Lord and your heart's in the right place, that's where the greatest joy comes from because that's a spiritual joy that physical joy cannot match. And I love Job 30, 23, 12. Listen to Job 23, 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Listen to this. I have esteemed, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Wow, I love that. I haven't turned from his commandments. And we read in Job, I have esteemed, Job says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth as more important to me than my necessary food for my body. Can you say that of yourself? You should, because Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he rebuked the devil and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? Amen. You guys are in the right place tonight. Amen? Amen. Oh, and guess what, man? It's a balanced diet. Thank God he gives them some sweets, man. Proverbs 24, 13. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. 
and the honeycomb is sweet to your taste. Psalm 19.10, they are more precious than gold, that is his word, his commands, than much pure gold, and are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb, fresh honey. Psalm 119.108, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You guys, this is our food, man. It's a balanced diet when you're in the Word of God. It's awesome. Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. John 6, 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Isn't that awesome? His words bring spirit and our spirit and life to us. Amen? Do you take that seriously? I think you do. Here you are today. Amen? Unless you were dragged here. Okay, then you need to just wake up and realize you're missing the really good food. The food that's most important. Amen? Amen. In John 6, 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now that's really cool bread. Amen? He's also the living water. If you drink, you'll never thirst again. So he's drink, he's bread, his word is all these things as well. And the bread also which I give to you for the life of the world is my flesh. He gave himself for us. Amen. Amen. I love 1 Peter 2 too. Like newborn babies, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You catch that? We're supposed to long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So we're supposed to long for the Word of God because it's like pure milk. You ever have, you ever have just really good milk? How many of you are allergic to milk? A lot of people are allergic to milk. Raise your hand. Nobody here? Praise the Lord. Because if you are, some people are allergic to milk can drink raw milk. And they're not allergic to raw milk. You ever have raw milk? Raw milk is so good. It's a little pricey, so I don't buy that often. But when I do, I'm like, oh, that's good. But he says to desire his word like milk. But not just desire it. He says like what? Be like what when you desire his word? Like what? Like newborn babies. How do newborn babies desire milk, guys? Come on, how do they do it? Wah! Wah! They really want it, amen? God's telling you to really want his word, amen? So you can grow. Now, if you deny a baby the nourishment that he would get, like the milk and baby food, all that, he's not going to shrivel up and die. What's going to happen to you spiritually if you do not cry out for the milk? I just watched uh, my daughter Heather's youngest, Grant, and gave him milk yesterday. And he's one of the easiest babies I've ever had to take care of, man. He's, I had him and a head wrestle. But he's just so easy. Right now he is, you know. You know that can, if you're a parent or even a grandparent, you know that can change on a dime. But he's so mellow. But man, you get that milk out, and he's just, he, he's so busy. But you get that milk out, he's like, fixed. I'm ready. Bam, you know. And, uh, and he's so satisfied, you know. And when you get into God's word, and you feed on his word, it's so satisfying. It's so good for you. It's so, it's, it's sweeter than honey. Now, you have to make sure you're serious. And, and, and you're drinking. You can't just come in and say, oh, okay, I'll put in my time. How many people go to the gym? You see people at the gym and they're just there. They get on their cell phones. If you're on your cell phone right now, I'm not speaking to you. Well, maybe I am, but not intentionally, okay? 
And they just get on their cell phones, and you've been, I've, used, you know, I've gone to the gym off and on through the years, you know. Now I just exercise at home, and I, last night at midnight, I was walking, you know, in my track around the, with my dog for about an hour. So I try to find my times to exercise when i got time, you know. But, but it's interesting, when I go to the gym, I don't like, personally, I have a hard time with gyms because it's all the loud, wicked music, you know, and, and uh, girls barely dress and all that, so I try not to go to gyms. Uh, and, and if I do, I go like a gym where it's hardly anybody at, you know. But I haven't been to a while, but I still exercise. But I'll tell you what, man. But I remember going to gyms, and I'd be like, see people, the same people all the time, they just sit there. And it's like, are they just like part of their probation or parole or something? Because they just don't even want to be here. And they're sitting there, and they never, their body's never trans, being transformed. They're just there. They're on the cell phone, or they're just talking to everybody else. And the people they're talking to, they, they, they know certain people, and, and they're just, I'm like, Poor people, they're like, oh no, they gotta walk by this guy who never works out. He's gonna stop me from detain me for 10 minutes, you know. Don't be that guy when you come to church, man. Get in the word. You're here for a reason. Amen. You're supposed to be coming to the gym to exercise. How much more should you be coming to God's gym to spiritually feed and work out? Amen. You know, I say these things because I love you, but you know what? You could stunt your growth if you do not feed on God's word. In fact, look what Paul says. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse 1. First Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3.1. Paul's concerned about certain believers there that are truly born again, but they're babies still. They're not growing up. In verse 1 he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to what? Infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Can you imagine being 15 years old and you still can't eat a steak? You still can't eat meat because, not because you have a problem where you don't have teeth or something, but because you're just stuck on milk still. Milk is so good for you, but if you're just on milk, you'll become malnourished. Verse 3, For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Meaning, guess what? You're, you're such babies in Christ. Still infants. New, it's like you're newly born again, even though you've been Christians for years, but you're, it's hard to distinguish you from just mere men, regular people. Because there isn't a lot of spiritual growth in your life. And that's a problem. In fact, go to Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 12, we see the Holy Spirit through another writer addresses the same problem. And this is a serious problem because in chapter 6, he's going to give one of the strongest warnings in the entire Bible about falling away from the Lord. He's concerned that these guys are going to stay babies and babies are easy for the enemy to destroy, especially babies that have been babies way too long. Hebrews 5.12 For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have, again, need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You should be teaching others by now. You should be able to open the scriptures and bring them to certain verses to teach them who Jesus is and what it means to be saved. Yet you need to go back and learn your ABCs again. There's a problem there. So you have a 30-year-old man, and it's not, we're not talking about deficiency that someone's born with where they can't learn. Otherwise, he would not be reproving and rebuking them. We're talk, think of a grown person, a grown child, an intelligent, normal child, but 35 years old in his mom's basement, still playing video games and doesn't know how to read. That's a problem. 
That's how some people are spiritually. And you have come to what? Need milk and not solid food, he goes on to say. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, because of what? Practice, they work out, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Little babies are the easy, you ever heard that saying? It's like taking candy from a baby. Babies don't want to give up candy, but you can take candy from a baby because they're so easily deceived. And guess what? There are babes in Christ today. This is why so many people are going for the Bethel lies. This is so why so many people are falling for the lies of the New Apostolic Reformation and other false doctrines because they're babes, so many of them. They don't get beyond John 3.16. And then all these lies come about. And I've got quotations from Bill Johnson, who is the leading apostle in many people's eyes of the New Apostolic Reformation, where he says that we're stealing or we're taking back, he says, things from the New Age movement. We're taking the things into the church because those are really belong to us. He's bringing all kinds of occultism into the church. Like Sozo Prayer, which they got from Agnes Sanford. Man, I was on to Agnes Sanford in the 1980s looking at her writings where she opened up a pastoral care home and stuff and she heals memories so pastors can come there. And now it's spread throughout the body of Christ where you have to have this inner healing where you have to get over your past so you can come here and you can do guided, guided imagery and people sit down in groups and they'll, they'll picture Jesus coming to them. And However they picture him. You can picture him with blonde hair and blue eyes, even though he didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. Okay. I mean, he was a Jew. Oh, one lady, I, I pictured Jesus. He had blonde hair and blue eyes. He came to me, and he healed my past. It's like, no, that wasn't Jesus. Jesus at the right hand of God. That's a spirit guide. That's a New Age lie. You're doing what the New Agers are doing just in the name of Jesus, but you're opening yourself to demons. Well, how do I get over my past? You forgive because Jesus commanded us to forgive. forgive. Amen. You, as Paul said in Philippians 3, you forget those things that are behind. You reach forward to the things that are ahead. You press into the high calling of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what you do. You obey the scripture. Well, what if I run through a really bad trauma? My heart breaks for you. All of us have been through things. Amen. But guess what? You bring it to God. Amen. And say, Lord, heal me. And he'll heal you. And you trust what he says that he's going to work everything for the good, even the horrible things we've gone through for his good. Amen. You can't beat that. Can you put your trust in him? That he's made us his workmanship. He's created us for good works in Christ. As NLT says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his masterpieces. Trust the master's hand, amen? Don't go into the occult. Don't go into the doctors of demons. So it's very, very important, guys, that we get this and we aren't on milk, so we're not, that we're not only on milk. Long for the pure milk of the word, but also for the meat, amen? And I'm glad you guys are here today because we need to be nourished, it says. Nourished on the words of faith. Nourished on sound doctrine. Verse 6, amen? amen? And that's why I give you the word of God. Because guess what? If I fill you with the word of Joe, you're just going to leave with another man's words. You're not going to grow spiritually. But I constantly give you scripture. I pour the word of God into you. Amen? And I, I give you more Jesus. And when I'm not here and Steve's preaching, guess what you're getting? You're getting the word of God. Amen? And when the other elders teach, you're getting the word of God. And that's how we grow. Amen? Amen? But some of us just want milk. We want it easy. Just give me a baba and a binky, you know? And I'm, and I'm satisfied, you know? And you don't want to be a, be a binky baba baby for the rest of your life, okay? Okay? Renounce being a, say in the name of Jesus, I renounce being a binky baba baby for the rest of my life. <laughs> Amen? And I'm going to stand with Jesus. I'm going to be a man of God. 
Okay? Now it's okay if you're a new Christian, you're like, oh, I feel so bad because I've, I feel like I don't know anything. Well, praise the Lord, that's what you're supposed to be. We rejoice with you. We were all there. But if you've been in the faith 10, 15, 20 years, and you're walking around looking for a binky and a bob on your, and you're constantly, everybody has to feed you, and you're constantly licking your wounds and coming to people, I need help, but you're not in the Word of God. You're hindering your own growth, and you're hindering the growth of others. And it becomes parasitical because the people that have to help you because you, you, you continue to be a baby because you stubbornly don't want to open the book yourself and pray yourself and grow yourself, and you don't grow into a spiritual adolescent and then into a spiritual adult, those people that are constantly helping you, trying to get you to get off the binky and off the baba, they're not able to help others and witness to others because you're taking their time. Now, even now, if, I'm talking about if you're just digging your feet in the ground and saying, I don't want to grow, man. I just want everybody to spoon feed me. Okay? I do that with my grandchildren still. You know? Just open your mouth like a train, like a cave. You know, make the train sounds and, you know. And I haven't done that for a little while because they're a little older. Now we got a new one. I like that game. But man, I'll tell you what, if Eli's like, pop up, do the train game, you know, I'm like, no, dude, you're 10 years old now or so. The train game's over. I love you, buddy. I'll give you a hug. You know, I'll buy you a new train, okay? But you don't, you're not playing the train game when you're eating baby food. Amen? How many of you are doing the train game? You've been a Christian for years. And you're just like, feed me. You know, praise God, man. We get here. We get in the Word together. And the author of Hebrews wants to get into Melchizedek. But he says, I can't get into Melchizedek because you're still on milk. I can't even get into what I want to get into. And guess what? I get it. I know there are people, even our fellowship, it's just going to go over my head. But you know what? You have to make sure your heart's in the right place. Maybe sit up. If, you, if you're not getting it, sit up front. Okay? Because you learn better when you're up front. But if you're sitting in the back and you whip out your cell phone, no wonder you're not getting it. I'm not saying I'm having that problem right now or you're having that problem right now, but guess what? I'm going to keep preaching the word because I've been doing this for years and we've seen a ton of fruit, okay? We've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people saved through our ministry by the grace of God. We're constantly getting testimonies and we have all kinds of people. Every week it seems like people come from different places because they're growing through the word of God that's preached here. But you have to have an open heart. The Bible says you need to make sure your heart's right. When you come to the Word in James chapter 1, he says to put away sin and open up your heart to the Word of truth and receive the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. You have to make sure you have a repentant heart. You can't come in here filled with your own ways, doing your own thing, and just say, hey, I'm just going to come to church because a few of my buddies are here. No, you have to come because you're serious. You want to grow in the faith. Amen. Amen. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What if I'm that gal or I'm that guy? Well, God's being patient with you. He loves you. But guess what Paul's doing? He's shaming them in 1 Corinthians 3. In Hebrews chapter 5, he's shaming them, saying you should be on, beyond the beaky and beyond the baba, and you should be growing now. And I'm telling you because I love you. And I'll continue. I, I spoon feed people all the time through ministry. I counseled some people for several years over the same issues. And all they had to do is be doers of the word. They would have conquered that problem. Just love your wife. You lay your wife, life down for her. Remember my wife saying years ago in ministry, how come you continue to minister to that person because he's not, a, he's not taking heart? You keep telling him to do the same thing. Then finally, boom, it'll click. And the guy will be in the Word. And all of a sudden, his marriage will flourish. And sometimes they just leave, you know? I get some of the hard cases too, you know? So uh, people send people here from other churches and sometimes they're actually easy cases. But we, we have the Word of God. Now I love it because he wants us to have a balanced diet. Paul talked about the, in uh, Romans 11, he talked about the goodness and the severity of God. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. We consider God's grace. We've talked about it today. And God's warnings. We've talked about the warnings today. Falling away. 
Paul said he did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Acts chapter 20. We preach, we give a, solid, we give a, a, a balanced diet. And that's what we have to do. If you have a, a, a church that just pro gives you the promises and tickles your ears and tells you what you want to hear, well, then you're just going to be a spiritual slob, you know? Sloppy agape, where you're not going to heed any of the warnings and you're just going to fall away easily. But we need to have a sound spiritual diet. Amen? Verses 7 and 8. I'm looking at the clock right now. And if I do verses 7 and 8, I'm going to run it out even grace time, man. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're good, man. Seven, eight, are, did we get a good feeling today? Amen. Anybody get convicted in a good way? Okay. How many of you are going to say, hey, I'm getting rid of my, my I'm not going to be a binky baba baby anymore. Okay. I'm going to graduate to spiritual adulthood. Amen. You know what the Bible talks about? James, John writes to those who are babes in Christ. And praise God for those of you who are babes in Christ, you're new believers. And praise God for those of you who are babes, but you're still on milk and you should be on meat because praise God, you're still on the milk at least. But graduate to the meat, amen. Then he talks about those who are spiritual adolescents to young men. He says, you're strong because the word of God abides in you. You get beyond babyhood when you get in the word more and the word of God abides in you and it lives in you, amen. You're like the tree planted by the water, young man, glory in their strength. Then you're stronger. You become a young man or young sister in Christ. Then eventually he says, and to the fathers. Then he speaks to the babes, he speaks to the young men, then he speaks to the fathers. Who are the fathers? Those are those who are bringing people to Christ. Spiritual fathers. Or who are discipling people that others people brought to Christ. And they're discipling them as fathers. They're teaching. They're encouraging people in the truth. Amen. Let's seek to be spiritual fathers and mothers where we're actually encouraging other people in the Word of God. Amen. Can I hear any amens to that? Amen. And by the way, in conclusion... We obey the Word of God out of thanksgiving and because it's the right thing to do, not as a means to earn points with God. We've figured that out, right? It's very clear. We don't have these man-made rules, you know, don't eat this, and as Paul said in the Colossians, don't eat and don't drink, you know, and all that stuff. No, we follow God's Word, amen? And it's not a bunch of man's do, 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 right? Guess what our faith is about? Done, done, done. It is finished to tell us die. By the precious blood of Christ, we're saved. Amen. Because of what he did for us. Let's continue to grow as his children. Amen. Can we all please stand?